How many of you have ever had something like this? You know, you had something that appeared to be light and easy and simple. And that's what it looked like. But as you went on, you found it no longer was light and easy and simple. It was the opposite of what you expected. It was heavy. It was a burden. It was, it was difficult. I mean, kind of like if you've ever put anything together from Ikea, right? It looks so simple. But there's no instructions. There's just pictures. And you got to try and figure it out. Or for example, like this, I'm not much of a mechanic. I don't know, some of you are. I'm not much of a mechanic. And I had this motorcycle a number of years ago, and my, my tire went flat. And so I, I talked to a friend, and they're like, it's easy, to, to, it's easy to fix a tire, you'll be fine. And I'm like, okay. So I tell my wife, I'm going to go out to the garage, I'm going to fix the, the tire, and I start taking some bolts off of some wrenches, and, and I got to keep taking more and more off this bike. And while I'm taking the bike off, the bike's wanting to fall. So I'm trying to figure out how to balance this motorcycle while taking the tire off. My wife comes in like an hour later and was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm still working. I'm stressed out. And I tell you, I got that tire off and I put it back on. And there, I had like four extra bolts. I don't know like if that was concerning. The tire stayed on. But what looked so easy, it was really more difficult than I thought it was. Maybe for you, maybe you're like, Maybe you had this idea that marriage was easy. Marriage was like, oh, it's amazing. You're always just in love with each other. And then you get married and realize marriage is hard work at times. Or maybe, maybe you're like, I love kids. I can't wait to have my own. And you're like, man, these kids are exhausting, right? Well, you have these things that they look simple and easy and light and fun. And then you get in the reality of it. And you're like, man, this is a little bit more difficult than I, I thought. You know, sometimes it's the same way in faith, where faith looks easy and simple, but it becomes a little bit more difficult. In fact, let me ask you this. What was the, what was the, what was the reason you first came to church the very first time? You ever thought about that? Like, like, what brought you to church the very first time? Now, some of you are like, my parents brought me. Any of you, your parents, that's why I came to church. My parents brought me. My kids better not raise their hands. They didn't good. Uh, uh, I had a friend, uh, I had a friend, and he's like, and I was like, hey, tell me, you know, what brought you to church? And he's like, well, the church came and invited me to come and play sports. And I was like, hey, that sounds great. And so I started coming to church. I had, uh, we had a guy that was coming to our church for a while, and, and he, was, he, was, he, was, he was homeless. And so I met him on the street, and I'm like, hey, if you come to church on Sunday, I'll take you out to lunch. Funny thing is, he'd come every church, every Sunday. He's like, what, what, where are we going for lunch today? Wasn't exactly what I thought. We had a, had a pastor friend over in Seattle, and their church was an old nightclub. They bought this old nightclub and repurposed it into a church. And no doubt, he had someone show up to their 9 o'clock service looking for the nightclub. 9 o'clock in the morning? But that's what they were looking for. Uh, I'll be honest, for me, the first time I came to a Christian church is because of a girl. <laughs> Don't judge me. It's all there. <laughs> we all have different reasons to why we come to church for the very first time. But if we're being honest, there's something bigger that brings us back. Something bigger than just whatever that reason is that brings us to church. There's something bigger. Because life, we know, can be hard. In life, we all have these experiences. People die. Uh, relationships struggle. Health fails. And things break. And so life just becomes challenging. We have all these things that happen around us. And as we go through life, we're looking for a little bit of hope. We're looking for joy. We're looking for comfort. We want to be told it's okay. 
And so then we hear about this God, this God who loves us, this God who promises us abundant life, this God who offers us freedom. And let's be honest, that sounds pretty good. When you think about the weight of what this world carries, it sounds simple and light and easy and free. We're like maybe, maybe that's where that abundant life, maybe that's where peace is found. We want that. So we come back to church. We want to experience that freedom. But what is a message that people often hear from the church? Is it a message of freedom and peace and abundant life and something light and easy? Because what happens oftentimes is churches become defined by the type of church that they are, right? Churches want to identify, hey, we're this kind of a church. In fact, if you do a Google search and you do churches in whatever region, you're going to find churches identify themselves as all sorts of different type of churches. Some churches say, well, we're spirit-led churches. We're, we're, a, we're a charismatic church. We're a Pentecostal church. We're an old-fashioned church. We're, we're a hip and modern church. We're, we're a mega church. We're a small church. We're a conservative church. We're a liberal church. We're a masking church. We're a non-masking church. And we have all these ways to define what kind of church we are, right? And it goes further where we don't just define the kind of church we are. We define what kind of Christian we are. Where we say, if you're going to be a Christian, then you need to look like this. You need to vote this way. This is the only way a Christian can vote. This is the only way that a Christian should talk. This is the only way a Christian should dress. This is the only way a Christian should live. And you have to begin to look the part of what they say a good Christian is. We have all these Christian rules. You know those Christian rules? Don't smoke, don't chew, don't go with girls who do. And so we put these rules and say, this is what it means to follow Jesus. And these aren't bad things. Your faith should impact how you live your life. But too often, too often, we mix this genuine faith in Jesus with all these outward actions, with all these external things. And actually what that does, that begins to rob us of the freedom, of the abundant life, of the peace that God offers when we have a relationship with him. See, a couple examples of this. I went to, I had the chance to go to a, a pastor's leadership conference over in Seattle a couple of years ago. And I, and I brought a friend with me. And I'm like, hey, we're going to come. And some great leaders are going to talk about how being a great Christian leader. And my friend was like, man, it was really good, except everybody on stage, every person that spoke on stage wore skinny jeans and had a flannel shirt and a big bushy beard. He's like, it was crazy. It was even the women. Like, this is the way they all looked. And they're like, is that what I have to do to be a good Christian leader? In fact, I remember there was another pastor I used to listen to. And the pastor would say, listen, if you're going to be a godly man, this is the definition of a godly man. And here it was. You had to kill animals with your bare hands. You had to eat that animal raw. You had to watch UFC. And you couldn't play video games. And he's saying this as I'm playing Angry Birds on my phone, and I'm like, oh, I guess I'm not that good of a Christian man. Or, as a lady, you hear the, def the, the description of the Proverbs 31 woman. This is a woman who is industrious. She has a successful business and, and is financially able to provide. She is, uh, takes good care of her house, 
all on her own without a housekeeper or anyone else to help her. She's a great mom, a great wife, and she has time to focus on her physical beauty. And we hear the description of this Proverbs 31 woman. Does that sound like freedom, ladies? Does that sound like abundant life? Or do you hear that description and think, man, I feel exhausted trying to keep up with that. Man, I feel guilty because I can't measure up to what everybody else around me is doing. See, what happens is, is we come to church and we're looking for freedom. We're looking for forgiveness and hope and peace and abundant life. But oftentimes in the church, we get weighed down, burdened by all these other things, all these rules we have to do, all these hoops we have to jump through, all these things we have to do to comply with what others say. And, and we take this, this faith that is supposed to be light and easy and life-giving, and it becomes complicated and discouraging. Question I want to ask us this morning is what does God ask of us? When he offers us peace and joy and love and hope and abundant life and a purpose and forgiveness and freedom, when, when God offers us these things, are those things found by all the things we try to do, all the things we try to be, trying to look the part? Or perhaps all those things that we say, all those things we have to do and try to be, perhaps they distract us from our primary focus. This morning, as we have our first service in this new building, I thought it was an appropriate time for us as a church to kind of talk about who we are. So we're starting a series that we're calling uh, Restoration Family Values. Uh, this is the idea that we're going to have a conversation about. These are the values. These are, these are the attitudes, the characteristics that should define how we live as a church. They define how we interact with one another, how we interact in our community. They want to be what we are known for. But today, we're not going to talk as much about values. But more so, we're going to talk about vision about mission. Today, we're going to talk about why we exist. And I'll tell you, it's important that we come back to this idea about why we exist, because it's easy for us to forget. It's easy for us to start in one direction and then get distracted by all this other stuff, and pretty soon we're going on this rabbit trail, going down in ways that we never intended to go. So we're going to come back to our mission as a church, which is simply to know Christ and to make Christ known. So we're going to look in, today in Philippians chapter 3, a passage that Jacob read for us this morning. Uh, Philippians is probably my favorite book of the Bible. I love coming back to it. The theme of Philippians is that we can have joy regardless of whatever circumstance we are going through in life. If you know me, I love me a little bit of joy. Joy is good. Joy is one of those reasons why we come to church. Joy is one of those reasons why we pursue a relationship with God because we want that joy. But in Paul's day, similar to our day, people start taking this idea of faith in Jesus and the joy that he offers and begin to add all this other stuff to it. And they take away from the simplicity of what faith is supposed to be about. In fact, that's what Paul says in verse 2. Philippians chapter 3, verse 2, Paul says, Look out for the dogs, for the evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh. 
Okay? Again, Paul is writing to a group of Christians, and he's writing to them about retaining their joy, about having joy. And he tells them, you need to watch out for people who try to steal your joy that's yours because of Jesus. See, what would happen is Paul, he was a church planter. Okay, so Paul would go into a city, he went into Philippi, and he planted a church. He goes into, goes into the city, and he preaches the, the gospel, the good news about Jesus. Okay, he preaches the good news. Here, here's the good news about Jesus. He says, listen, God created us for a relationship with him. And when we have a relationship with him, that is when we experience that peace, that purpose, that, 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 that freedom, that abundant life. When we have a relationship with God, we experience those things. But then Adam and Eve entered into the world. And Adam and Eve allowed sin entered into the world. And that sin has distorted our relationship and strained our relationship with God ever since that day that Adam and Eve disobeyed. But God, because of his love for us, he sent his son Jesus to the earth to live a perfect life, to live the life that you and I can't live. He sends Jesus to the earth to live that life. And then Jesus goes to the cross and he, he suffers in our place. He's hung on the cross, not because of anything he's done, because of what you and I have done. And he takes the sin upon himself and he paid the penalty of that sin. He paid the penalty of death for us. He took that upon himself. He was buried and he rose on the third day, defeating sin and Satan and death and hell, allowing us to have a restored relationship with God, allowing us to experience that peace, that abundant life, that freedom that we long for. And that's the gospel message. And you know what the gospel message does? The gospel message, it levels the playing field because you know what? Every one of us, every one of us, we all come to God in the same way. None of us come to God saying, God, look how good I am. Look how great I am. I'm so good. You have to love me. No, we come to God in the same way we come to God broken. God, I can't save myself. I can't be good enough. Every one of us have to come and humble ourselves to come into a relationship with him. And so Paul would come into the city. He, he preached the good news and people would believe the message and they would receive Jesus. And then he'd organize these people who received it into a church much like ours. And he'd put some leaders in the church. And then Paul, because he was a church planner, he'd move on to another city to go start a new church. But here's the problem is when Paul would put some of those leaders in place, some of those leaders in Philippi, I mean, they, they believed in Jesus. But they started to begin to add maybe some of their old thoughts, some of their old religion into their faith with Jesus. And they drift back to their old roots. And so they'd say, they'd say, hey, we need to believe in Jesus, but we also have to follow all these Jewish rules and Jewish customs, including the sign of circumcision. And so they'd say, you sure, sure, believe in Jesus, but don't forget to obey all the rules that we say you have to obey for you to be a good Christian. This is what makes you a Christian, is Jesus plus all this other stuff. And they take the message of Jesus that is good and easy and light, the message that should be freeing to us, the message that should lead us to abundant life. They'd all the, add all these rules and actions and they weigh down our faith where our faith was no longer free and enjoyable 
and full of life, it became a burden. It became heavy. It became discouraging. And this is who Paul is writing to. He's saying, do not let these people lead you. Don't let them rob your joy. So Paul, this is what he's saying. Paul is saying that anytime you take Jesus plus anything else, that equals nothing. When you take the message of Jesus and you add to it, that equals nothing. That's religion. You know what religion does? Religion ruins everything. Religion is simply this. Religion takes a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of God and then mixes in works and a list of things you're supposed to do and a list of things you're supposed to not do. And it says, this is now what makes you right with God. This is what will bring you abundant life. And it doesn't work. It begins to rob us of that joy. It begins to weigh us down where we're trying to focus on being something instead of being with the one. And when we view God this way, that there's all these things we have to do, it leads us to pride. Because all of a sudden, instead of us focusing about, the, about being with Jesus, now we're focusing on building a resume. Man, look how good I am. Look at all these wonderful things I've done for God. I'm such a good person. I've cleaned up my life. And then we begin to compare it with other people. Say, look, I'm such a good, I'm, I'm better than that person. Oh, you should see what that person does. I'm better than them. And no longer is it focused on Jesus. Now it's focused on us building a resume. Look, God owes me because I'm such a good person. I'm a good Christian because I've got the right resume. And we're no longer equal before God. Because now it's whose resume is better than the other. God loves me more because my resume is stronger. In fact, Paul, because this is the issue in this church, Paul says, hey, for those of you that thought that God is concerned about a resume, for those of you that thought God is concerned about having a, obeying all the rules, Paul says, listen, I'm the cream of the crop. No one's better than me. I mean, here, he lays out his resume in verse 4. He says, if anyone thinks they have a reason for confidence in the flesh... If anybody thinks they've got a resume that shows that God should love them, he says, look at me. I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He says, man, I grew up in church. I'm of the right ethnicity. I have the right heritage. It's better than everybody else's. Then he continues and says, and as to the law, I was a Pharisee. And as to zeal, I was a persecutor of Christians. And as to righteousness, I was blameless. How many of us can say that? As far as righteousness, we are blameless. That's, pretty, that's a pretty high standard that he just set. Paul says, listen, if God is looking for religion, there's no one better than me. But here's a quick, here's a kicker. As he says in verse seven, whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Jesus. He says, indeed, I count everything as a loss. My resume, my achievements, my good works, I count everything as loss. For what? Because of something that's worth even greater. Simply knowing Jesus. Paul says, you know what's most important? You know what's most important? It, it's not my resume. It's not me living a good life. It's not me being a good person. It's not me being a moral person. It's not me obeying all the rules that they say this is what you have to do to be a good Christian. He says, you know what's most important? Simply knowing Jesus. That's what it is. In fact, he repeats it in verse eight. 
He said, I suffered a loss of all my accomplishments and all my works, and I count them as garbage. Verse 10, so that I may know him, that I may know the power of his resurrection. This is incredible. This is incredible. Now, the apostle Paul, like this is a guy, if we were to compare him to us, like, like I don't think any of us in this room would come close to matching him. Like, like he wrote Bible. Anybody here write Bible? No, I, like I've never written Bible. Like he wrote Bible. Like, like Paul, if there was a USA Today, like, 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 like list of all the best Christians ever, like Paul's number one all time. He's like the goat of all Christians, okay? Yet Paul just said, I count all of that as garbage, simply so that I may know him. All of that doesn't matter. I just want to know him. And notice the tense that he says. Uh, he doesn't say, I count it all as garbage because I know so much about him. No, it's not. I've known him in the past. I've learned all this stuff. This is present tense. That I may know him because I want to know him. I want to know more of him. I want to keep learning. I want to keep growing. I want to keep knowing him more and more and more. See, Paul is giving us an insight to faith, an insight to that abundant life that we long for, that peace, that purpose, that joy. All those things we long for, Paul is saying it's not about religion. It's not about accomplishments. It's not about rules. It's simply about us knowing Jesus. In fact, Jesus said in John 17, this is eternal life, that you would know you, the only true God, and Jesus whom you sent. It is so simple and free and light and easy. In fact, I love this, verse 10. Paul says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. What is the power of his resurrection? You ever thought about that? Listen, if Jesus, if Jesus didn't, didn't rise from the grave, then Christianity means nothing. If Jesus didn't walk out of that grave, then Christianity is nothing more than just a, a failed story of love. But if Jesus did walk out of that grave, that means that God's love doesn't fail. That means God's love is not in vain. That means that the power of God that we long for, the forgiveness and the freedom and the joy and the peace and the hope, is not found in our works. It's not found in our religion. It's found in the resurrection of Jesus. That's where that is found. The power of the resurrection over Satan and sin and death and hell. Jesus wins. That's what, that's what the resurrection means. Jesus wins. That means that gives us hope for today. That gives us hope for tomorrow. And if Jesus wins, if he walks out of the grave, that means that whatever pain and shame and regret that we experience today is finally redeemed by Jesus and nothing is wasted. The power of the resurrection means our fear will pass away and joy prevails. That's what the power of the resurrection means. And how do you experience that power? The power of the resurrection it's not found in religion. It's not found in works. It's found in simply knowing Jesus. See, we said that Jesus plus anything equals nothing. 
we flip that around to say Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And that is the core of what Christianity is. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But I want to look as well in our text today at verse 17. There's a second part to this. Paul says, brothers, I want you to join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He says, imitate me. Imitate me in what? Imitate me in my religion. Imitate me in my good works. Imitate me in all these things. No, he says, imitate me in simply focusing on knowing Jesus. You know what happens? You know what happens when somebody experiences something life-changing? You know what happens when someone finds something in this world that's life-changing? Actually, let me say it like this. Maybe you've met somebody who got into CrossFit, or maybe you met somebody who got into essential oils. Because when you get into CrossFit or essential oils, you can't but tell, you can't wait but tell everybody all about it. Because it has brought so much change to your life. It is amazing. You go on social media, you've got to come and check this out. You've got to come and do CrossFit with me. It'll change your life forever. That's what happens. Paul says the same thing happens when you experience the power of the resurrection. The same thing happens when you simply understand the power of knowing Jesus. You can't help but point others to join you. Not in works, not in, not in building a resume, not in cleaning up your life, but you can't wait to point others and invite them to experience a life-changing experience of knowing Christ, of finding that freedom, of having a relationship with him, that, that forgiveness that joy. See, as, as Christians, like we're called to make disciples. We're called to tell other people about Jesus. And we, we go through all sorts of ways as Christians to teach people how to do this. You know, we, we've got programs that teach you how to share the gospel and, and philosophies and enforce spiritual laws and pray this prayer. And that's how, I mean, we, we teach people how to do all these certain things. Paul says, you know how I get other people to experience the power of the resurrection? I simply invite them to follow me because I'm focusing on knowing Jesus. I'm not focusing on religion. I'm not focused on a program. I'm, not, I'm simply focused on knowing Christ. And I'm inviting others to follow me, to imitate me as I focus on simply knowing him. You know what that looks like in our lives? That we will find somebody who's struggling whatever it happens to be. I've been there. I know what you're going through. But you know what? Here's how I focus on Jesus, and here's how Jesus helped me through that. That is how you say, imitate me, and let me show you how Jesus worked in my life. See, when we think about faith and church and God, we think about coming to church because we want freedom and peace and joy and comfort. This text, Paul is trying to rekindle the hope that we have for coming to church. That I want you to come in church today and I want you to know that faith can be easy and light and free. And that it's through the power of the resurrection that we can know those things. And the power of the resurrection is found as we focus on knowing Christ and making Christ known. We want to experience all that God has for us. 
It's simply found in us knowing Christ and making Christ known, not jumping through their hoops, not following all the rules. Simply through knowing Christ and making Christ known. In fact, as I think about here we are today in this new building, it's exciting. I am so excited for this place. We have prayed for years that God would open a door like this. And I think it's fitting for us to pause as a church and say, what are we doing here? What are we trying to accomplish as a church? Because I'll tell you what, our community around us, our city, our world, they're looking for peace. They're looking for joy. They're looking for love. They're looking for comfort. They're looking for forgiveness. They're looking for freedom. They're looking for abundant life. In fact, I would say there's many of us in here today, we're looking for those same exact things. God, I I need this. I want this. And I'll tell you what, Restoration Church, we planted this thing nine years ago. Because we believe wholeheartedly the power of the resurrection. And it's not found in us jumping through a bunch of hoops. It's not found in trying to be better. It's not found in trying to do a bunch of good things for God. It's found in simply us knowing Christ and making him known. So I want to be clear as a church, this is our invitation to you this morning. This is our invitation I want you to hear time and time and time again. This is why we're here. Because number one, we want you to know Jesus. I hope you don't come to this church. I hope you don't hear that there's a bunch of rules you've got to follow. I hope you don't hear you've got to clean up your life and start acting better. I hope you don't come to this church and hear you need to try harder to be something you're not. I don't want you to hear five steps to a better life now. I want you to hear about Jesus. I want you to be invited to come to know Jesus. And I'm not talking about just knowing about Jesus. I mean, like right now, the the Rams are in the Super Bowl this weekend. Unfortunately, it's not the Seahawks. I don't know what happened there. The Rams are in the Super Bowl this weekend. And it's interesting because around the Yakima Valley, the buzz is all about Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup, man, we know him. He, he's from Yakima. We know his story. We know his family. Do you know there's a difference, though? Because we can know about Cooper Cup. Many of us do. But how many of us actually know him personally? How many of us actually have a relationship with him? There's a difference between knowing about somebody and actually having a relationship with him. And there's a difference between us knowing about God, knowing some facts about him, and knowing some scripture about him, and actually having a relationship with him. So how do you have a relationship with God? What does that look like? Man, we, we've talked about this a couple times this past fall. In John 15, I've latched onto this verse for the last six months. John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Abide in me. Abide in me. Abide. See, relationship with Jesus, it's not about religion. It's not about doing stuff and and accomplishing stuff. It's simply about us abiding, resting in what he's done 
for us. Trusting Jesus and what he's done for us. That we put our faith and our confidence, not in what we do, but what he has accomplished for us on the cross. See, Jesus, he went to incredible lengths to have a relationship with you. He went through incredible lengths on the cross. And guess what? He doesn't ask you to earn it. He doesn't ask you to to be worthy of it. He doesn't shame you for how you screwed up and you haven't measured up. He simply asks you to believe in him and to receive what he's done for you. So how do we have a relationship with him? We abide in that. We abide in him. That is the goal of Christianity. Simply abide. Now, like any relationship, and we, we can cultivate that relationship. We can grow our relationship when we do that, when we pray and when we read scripture and we gather with other Christians. I mean, that's kind of how you cultivate that relationship. But man, I want you to hear every time you come into this building, I want this to be what we're known for. We want you to know Jesus because that is where the power of the resurrection is found. That is where we experience that sweet peace and joy and forgiveness and purpose and freedom. We know him. My second invitation for you this morning is I want you to join us as a group. I want you to join us as a church, not to build a fancy church. We're not trying to build a big place. Not to, not to have programs to meet everybody's needs or solve everybody's problems. I want you to join us not in putting pressure on other people to, to act like you or to vote the way that you do or to, to do the things that you do or to uh, have the exact theology as you or to judge those who are not like you. Now, I'm going to invite you to join us in simply making Jesus known. That's the invitation. We're not here to build a big name for ourselves. We're not here to say, look how great we are. We're the answer to your problems. No, we're here to point people to Jesus. That's why Restoration Church exists. In fact, our our worship team introduced that song this morning. I speak Jesus. Do you hear those words? To every dark addiction, over fear and anxiety, to every soul held captive by depression, I speak Jesus. Why? Why do we speak Jesus? Because he is the answer. Do you believe this? Do you you believe that? Do you believe he's the answer? What is it the world needs? What is it our city needs? What what is it our community needs? What does your family need? It's Jesus. It's not religion. It's not five steps to a better person. It's not more money. It's not, it's not, not politics. Our world needs Jesus. And here's what it looks like. When you consider your circle of influence, the people in your neighborhood, the people in your school that you interact with, the people in your workplace, the people in whatever you're a part of, when you see those people begin to struggle, you see them going through a hard 
time. You see them grasping, trying to find their meaning and their purpose. You see them longing for love and acceptance and forgiveness. What if you and I so fully believed that Jesus was the answer that all we had to do was simply speak Jesus? I don't have to solve your problems. I don't have to know all the intricacies of what you're going through. All I have to do is point you to Jesus, invite you into a relationship with him where you can experience the power of his resurrection. I love this church. I love that I get the privilege of being a pastor. And what I love most is we're a place trying to push aside the distractions. But we exist to know Jesus and make Jesus. Let's pray.